Speaking truth to power is important for all of us at the right times. But are we hearing what needs to be heard? On this episode, what you can do to make it easier for others to surface what you need to hear. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 597. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. We've had a number of conversations on the show over the years about speaking up, of being able to manage up in some cases, of being able to get our message across. We haven't talked very much about listening up. How do you listen well? How do you encourage others to be able to speak truth to power? It is a challenge that many leaders don't recognize, and yet if we can adapt our behavior and our thinking a bit on this, it can help us to hear the important messages that we need to hear inside of our organizations. I am so glad today to be able to welcome an expert on helping us all to listen up better and what we can do practically to do a more effective job. Megan Rates is a professor of leadership and dialogue at Holt International Business School, where she speaks, researches, consults, and supervises on the intersection of leadership, change, dialogue, and mindfulness. She is on the Thinkers 50 ranking of global business thinkers and is ranked in HR Magazine's most influential thinkers listing. She has written Dialogue in Organizations and Mind Time. She is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, and her research has been featured in Forbes, the BBC, TEDx, and in numerous academic and practice-based journals. Her latest research on employee activism was nominated for the Thinkers 50 Breakthrough Idea Award. Her most recent book with John Higgins is titled Speak Up, Say What Needs to Be Said, and Hear What Needs to Be Heard. Megan, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Very good to be here, Dave. Thank you for the invitation. That last phrase, hear what needs to be heard in the subtitle of the book, we think about speaking up a lot, but I don't think often we think about hearing well, especially if we're in a position of power, do we? That's right. Let me let me let me tell you a story, which is the story that kicked off some of our research in this area just a few uh, years back. We had uh, a leader that tapped me on the shoulder, as they sometimes do, and they and and this leader said to me, Megan, you know, we've got a bit of a problem because those people over there, they're usually pointing at the middle managers or the junior employees. They're not speaking up. We need them to, you know, be brave and speak up more. Can you go and make them speak up? <laughs> You're the expert. <laughs> and uh, off I went with my researcher hat on and I, I spoke to them. And the very first quote I got in my research actually was was from them. And they said, last time somebody spoke up round here, they disappeared. Uh... And right from that word, you know, from those words, I should say, it, it's it became obvious to us that we can ask people to speak up, but people speak up depending on the conditions that are provided. They speak up depending on how we show up and how we listen up. So speaking up is is relational. It depends on how, particularly how people in perceived positions of power show up 
and how they listen up. So it'll be good to be talking about that side of the coin with you today. Yeah, and that's one of the things you told me before our conversation today is that power affects what gets said and what gets heard. And we feel that, we see that when it's us speaking up in the organization. And it's interesting how we often don't see that on the other side. And I think you've said most leaders are blind to just how difficult it is for others to speak up to them, aren't they? Yes, exactly. We talk a lot about labels and titles in our research. So as an example, when people are tuning in right now and they're listening to my voice, they've already, you know, you've already labeled me. Even though you can't see me, you'll have labeled me on my accent on my voice. You'll probably have labeled me female and British. I think that's a bit of a giveaway. And you'll you'll even possibly be trying to label me on how old I am. I have the label of professor. So we label ourselves in all manner of ways and we label others as well. And that's a very natural and normal and can be even a helpful process. But the very interesting thing about these labels is that they convey relative levels of status and authority, depending on the context. So, for example, in many organizations, hierarchical label affects status. Also, things like department or specialism, you know, if you're in HR or if you're in sales or if you're in finance, maybe things like where you're located. Are you in the headquarters or are you in the regions? Maybe how long have you been at the organization? All these sorts of labels mean different things in different contexts, but they kind of help us navigate power and status. And they are hugely influential when we come to that little equation in our mind that tells us, you know, should I speak up here? Am I supposed to speak up? here? If I speak up, will I be heard? Or should I stay silent? Ah, indeed. One of the things that struck me in thinking about your work was I, I found myself thinking about speaking up and then listening up as often two different things. Like when I'm, you know, I or someone else is speaking up, that's a conversation. And then listening up is something different in my mind often. And one of the things that you've mentioned is that these actually go hand in hand. Tell me more about that. I'm going to go straight to another person that I interviewed recently, a fantastic guy called Ian Wilkie, who runs an organization, a charity called 50 Million Voices. And 50 Million Voices is an organization that seeks to support about 50 million working age adults across the world who stammer and also supports the community in the workplaces with these individuals as well. And Ian said to me in his interview, he said, Megan, how you show up affects my voice. So quite literally, you know, Mm. Megan, if you show up really busy, distracted, judgmental, frustrated, If you show up like that, I will literally lose my voice. And that, I thought, was the most amazing metaphor, really, for leadership practice as well. And for all of us, how we show up affects the voices of the people that are around us. And it's that relational, you know. So if I often say to leaders, if if they are doing the pointing thing and they're saying they should speak up more, 
And let's face it, all of us do that. At one point oh, or another, yeah. we find ourselves looking at somebody going, they need to just be a bit more assertive. Oh, they need for to sure. Be and when leaders do that, I, I just gently remind them that they're part of this process. So what is it that they are doing that is meaning that that voice isn't emerging? And rather than pointing at that person, okay, they may need to speak up. They may need to be braver. They may need to have some training in that area. But it's very often the leader that can change their behavior. And that makes all the difference. So how do we look at how we show up and how that affects the voices around us rather than seeking to sort of point it, point the finger in the other direction? Yeah, there's a really big and here, right? It's both. It's yes, we're encouraging mm. developing others, helping others to speak up, but also it's like looking first at ourselves and making sure we are creating the space where folks feel like they're able to do that. And I was a Dale Carnegie instructor for many years, and one of Carnegie's principles that I always loved was try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. Mm. And when I think about the invitations you make in the book of what we can do from a leadership, from a from a place of power, which a lot of folks in our audience, of course, have power. It really does come down to, like, how do I look at things from the other person's perspective? And there's a section in the book where you frame five W's. We've all heard it from our, our grammar classes, the who, what, where, when, mm. and why. But it's a really powerful model for thinking about how we can actually show up in such a way where it creates a bit of that and where we're also helping to support what folks need to say and we need to hear. And it, it, like so many things, it starts with the why, you know, why we need to listen. And I pulled this line from the book, I'm quoting you, why comes down to whether or not you really value the opinion of others, our belief that as boss, we must already have the answers and therefore not seek them from others is deeply mm. ingrained. That is a big obstacle for so many of us, isn't it? It is indeed. And I mean, it's, this is a really big generalization, but as somebody that's studied leadership now for more than a couple of decades, it's really interesting how our picture of good leadership is changing. So moving from a, uh, an idea of good leadership, meaning somebody that knows the answer, somebody that can inspire everybody else to follow what they think is the answer. That is is shifting more towards a leader who knows that their perspective is partial. Of course, it's partial, particularly when we come to what we might call wicked problems, you know, really challenging problems around the environment or social inclusion. The, these sorts of issues don't have a solution. They certainly don't have a solution that the leader will probably know anything about. So how can our leaders come into the picture already knowing that their view is partial? And instead of that panicking the hell out of them, how can they think, oh, now this is interesting. What are my blind spots? Because I definitely have them. I have stuff that I don't even know about. How am I going to find that out? And can I be really, really curious about that? Can I be curious about the things that I don't know? And, and in order to do that, I need to seek out the voices that I don't normally hear. That's where the, that's where the information is. That's where the insights are. That's where some of our more innovative solutions are to some of these issues. The, the thing, as you mentioned there, Dave, is that 
when we're in a position of power, we can often underestimate the impact that that these labels have on other people speaking up. And we actually call that advantage blindness. You know, when you have the label of chief executive, when you have the label of sales, for example, in some in some companies, sales is, you know, king. When you have the label of gender label as well and ethnicity labels, very often white and male are labels which convey status and authority. But when we have these labels, it's it's difficult to see the impact that they have. It's it's actually when we don't have those labels that we can turn around and go, gosh, they make a difference as to whether you get heard around here. So can leaders be aware that they don't know, that they've got blind spots? And then how do they reach out and try and help those voices to speak up? And that's the five W's framework that you were just referring to. Yeah, indeed. And I was thinking about this and so many of us in leadership roles espouse the desire to hear from everyone, to hear input, to for folks to speak up. And yet, I think about what you wrote. When it comes to the underlying belief, though, sometimes it's hard for us to get out of that mode of, okay, I'm in this role, I have the answers, or at least I have more of them than others do. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious if there's anything you've seen that helps people to bridge that connection a little better, the, what they're espousing, and then the belief system that comes along with it that actually starts to shift how they show up. Have you seen something that's a good starting point for someone who maybe says the right things, but isn't quite executing it on the way that that you know they'd want to? Well, I think the first step is is the awareness that you don't know what you don't know. And that's quite a revelation to many leaders. So many leaders believe that they listen well. And we've got another name for that, actually. It's not our name, but it's called superiority illusion. We actually Ah. think that we listen probably much better than most of our colleagues. And the reason, one of the reasons for that is that we rate ourselves on our intent to listen and we rate other people on their behavior, what we actually see happen. Uh. And there's always a gap. So you'll always see leaders, and we've we've surveyed over 13,000 employees across hierarchy, globally, across industry. And time and time again, we see people at all levels, actually, but particularly when they're senior, they will think that they listen well because they have that intention. So there's a wake-up call that's really important first off. We interviewed a, a chief operating officer at, a, at one of the global banks, and he had oh many, many interesting things to say. One of them, he told us this story, which comes to mind here. He said on, on a Friday, he used to do the managing by walking about, you know, the, the mm. getting out of his office and walking around the trading floors because he, you know, had the picture that this was a very good leadership practice to do. Right. And as he went around the trading floors, he'd kind of joke and he'd he'd pass comments and people would ask him quick questions and he'd kind of respond really quickly and say things like, yeah, good idea or, oh, really? You're doing that? Oh, okay. All right. And he'd he'd make these sort of flippant remarks, and it was only it was only after about a year that he'd been doing this that somebody finally told him, "Do you realise that Friday afternoons you leave the office in utter chaos?" Huh. <laughs> where 
with with people kind of reading so much into what you're saying you know if you've said something's a good idea a whole project has just been initiated off the back of what you've just said ah. so coming back to what you're saying you know the very first step for leaders that I've worked with that have made a shift and and that leader then really made a shift was this wake up call of ah this is the impact that I'm having on other people and it's because of some of the labels that I'm wearing and some of my behaviors. So how do I help others to feel safer when I'm around? How do I reduce that kind of power distance that's meaning that people can't really, really speak up to me? And it's the leaders that have, one, spotted that they need to do that, even if they thought that they were really good at this. They've spotted that they need to do this. They've been able to put themselves in other people's shoes to see themselves as other people see them. And then they've done various things to, as I said, reduce the power distance. One of our first Harvard Business Review articles was called The Problem with Saying My Door is Always Open. And, you know, many leaders will make the invitation, my door is always open, please come and speak to me. But of course, that's blind to actually how scary that might be for some people yeah. to come into your territory to to speak up on your terms so part of what we're talking about is how do you get out how do you get onto their territory how do you open your ears to some of the voices that you aren't hearing how do you make those people feel more comfortable and safe to speak up yeah which gets to some of the where which i want to ask you about in a moment and and everything yeah. you just said i mean just I think back to the difficult conversations book from years ago and that 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 point of intent does not equal impact. And I love the invitation of thinking about, okay, my intent, you know, likely is good, but that doesn't necessarily translate to my behavior. We're judging others on their behavior and we're judging ourselves mm -hmm. on our intent. What a great invitation mm -hmm. to shift that a bit. And that mm -hmm. that actually brings me to, you know, something you mentioned a moment ago is the where, you know, I, the open door is sort of the classic. It's a little different, of course, now in the remote, the remote world. But that thinking about the where is where is the place that will put the other person at ease? And I thought there were some really interesting examples you mentioned in the book. One of them was a manager who had a practice of taking folks out and going walking around a park in mm -hmm. order to just make people feel comfortable. And the where here does make a big difference. And I also think like, even if we're in a more traditional office environment, like there's a lot of things to think about of like, even the where you are having that conversation. Is it in the manager's office <laughs> with the desk in front of you? Or is it in a more neutral location? Or I remember early in my career, I was able to a couple offices kind of decide where furniture would go. And I'd always try to put the desk against the wall. So like there wasn't that barrier between people when they'd come in or at least get out if there was that barrier. Like those kinds of things, it really does send a different message versus you come into someone's office and you're sitting like behind their desk and you're looking them in the, kind of their space. It's it It does frame the power dynamic differently. It, it really does. And it's so easy to miss, you know, particularly when we're in organizations with norms of behavior and we take so many things for granted and think that we have to do things in a certain way like position our desks in that way like have meetings in meeting rooms and not go outside and all of the, some of these norms you know it really is time to start questioning them and being a little bit playful with them as well I, I, an example of 
two managers that I worked with recently, I thought was a really good example of the five W's in practice. One of the most important aspects was the where. I was working with two managers who both needed to share a new strategy with their teams and they needed to get feedback. So this is a really normal situation and, and many people listening in here have had similar things where they've needed, they've come up with an idea essentially, and now they need to get feedback from people. Well, it was so interesting to see how these two managers went about it. And one of these managers called a very big formal meeting. Everybody was in a in a massive meeting room in the offices. He was on a stage and he presented his slides up on a big screen. And at the end of this presentation with everybody sort of sat in rows listening he he clapped his hands really loudly and he leant forward and he literally just went right feedback (laughs) and I I mean I had my you know mouth open at this stage and watched everybody sit on their hands you know there was no way anybody was going to speak up Mm. and it was really interesting that he blamed them when he came off stage he blamed them for not being brave enough and not speaking up and I worked with a, a, a second manager at a similar time and she just had a very different strategy she she was she got together people in in actually it was the cafeteria so it was a corner of the cafeteria it was very much more informal she still sort of flicked through the the strategy to present it but then she asked each uh, sort of uh, there was about 10 people there she asked a few of them to put themselves in the shoes of a really discerning customer she asked a few people to put themselves in the shoes of you know their most ruthless and scary competitor and she asked a few of them to put themselves in the shoes of junior employees and she said from those perspectives what would be the two biggest challenges you'd have to the strategy that you've just listened to you know if you were them what what would be the top two challenges and you know it it doesn't guarantee that people will speak up they still have to feel safe to speak up in that environment but there were so many things that were different about the way she went about it it was in a different place she framed a different question she she had different verbal and body language that was so important as well and she gave people an opportunity to really disagree with her and I think, again, this is a fairly new leadership practice that we're focused on. And goodness, does this sound counterintuitive. But as a leader, one of your most important practices is to enable others to disagree with you. Indeed. I'm thinking about the image of the manager up on the up on the platform, demanding feedback almost, and then the, the person in the cafeteria setting, like in a more informal space. And just mm-hmm. like just the visual image of that, of like showing up in one of those spaces. I, I almost think of like when people come over to our house, you know, we have like a formal little like library living room thing 
no one ever sits there and has a serious conversation. You know where all the serious conversations happen is in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Yes. Like we're cooking the food and we're talking yeah. and like that's where the conversation really happens. It's like the informal, like more great conversations have started there than in any other place in our house. And I just think of that as an analogy for like as as human beings, like what do what's going to make it a little safer for us? It's when we don't feel like we're talking to someone there's a huge hierarchy and those kinds of things. It's just it's just so different on, on, on how we're Absolutely. helping other people feel. And another great analogy for any parents listening, parents of teenagers probably know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes if you really need to find out what's going on, one of the best places is when you're driving. You know, you're staring ahead. The teenager is in the passenger seat. You don't have to make eye contact. And that's where, you know, that's where a lot of stuff gets actually talked about is in the car going places. Uh, and and it, again, you know, rather than parents staring teenager in the eyes and over the over the table, which doesn't send to, uh, tend to allow them to open up. Yeah, which is a good lead into when, the right moment, right, to help someone to speak up. And mm. as I was thinking of when, I just had a conversation this week with one of our members who was asking our advice in one of our academy sessions on how to handle a situation of giving feedback to a boss. And they had had several times where they and some of their peers had given feedback to a boss when it was asked for in a small group setting, like the executive leadership team. And very quickly, the boss got very defensive and responded poorly. And of course, they all learned really quick, don't ever do that, right? And yeah. But when we got to talking about it, it turned out when she would talk with him one-on-one -on -one and make requests, not only would he listen, but he would change his behavior almost immediately on some things. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of us were like, hey, maybe forget the group stuff. Maybe when you're making a, a suggestion or trying to do speaking up, find the times where it's one-on-one -on -one since you've had some success there and like really zero in on those opportunities and experiment there a bit. And it, it's really interesting how the when can make such a big difference of like how, you know, looking at it from the other side now, like how others feel comfortable saying something to us too. Yes. And the thing is when we, it's particularly when we want to say something that maybe is a little bit risky, that makes us a bit nervous. You know, we've thought about it all weekend we're ready to get it off our chest. And there we are on Monday morning and we see the person that we want to talk to and we just think, right, now's the time. Right. And blah, out it comes. We choose a time that suits us a little bit more than we choose a time that suits them. And, it, you know, if your boss is running from one meeting to the other, looking rather worried, that may not be the best time to to have this conversation, you can read signals around when is the best time to to bring something up. And yes, on the one to one, I I can certainly agree that that often is a, is a place to give feedback. What I sometimes hear though is some you know there are some leaders I'm afraid that really don't listen very well at all. Yeah, and in in some cases, actually collectively voicing is the way to go. You know, they're not going to listen to you one to one. They're only actually going to listen when there's a collective voice that comes in their direction. So this, you know, it's it's tricky to generalize, and it depends on what the topic is and who the person is that you're dealing with. But it's certainly a very good idea to do to be quite observant on the person that you want to speak to, and and just see, you know, what do you know about when they're most able to hear. 
And who are they most able to hear from? Because that's the other thing. It may not be you that should or that needs to speak up. It may actually be somebody else. I, I always remember, you know, years and years ago, I was a consultant, management consultant, and we were working at a very big energy company. And on the board of this energy company, there was somebody that we needed to sponsor our project. We needed them to really support us, but we didn't really have access to them. But we did know, and this is a true story, we did know that they played golf with another senior leader in the business a lot. And we knew that senior leader really well. And so we worked with that senior leader because we knew that this other person wouldn't listen to us, but they would listen to them. Mm. So, you know, how can we really identify with the with the big issues? Of obviously we're not going to do this every time we want to speak up, but with the big issues, when is the right moment to do it and and that who has just come up as well as an important aspect i'm so glad you mentioned this because this like so much of this framework on both sides the speaking up and listening up it comes back to where we started right like trying to look at things from the other person's perspective for some person you know for some people like that one-on-one environment might be the perfect place to encourage people to listen up for other people it might be the group and one of the things that I thought was really interesting when thinking about when, especially when listening up, have creating the space for, for people to be able to talk with us, one of the things you talk about is margin and the importance of us having space in our schedule for that to happen. What's important about margin? This is exactly where my research is focused on right now. Ah. Spaces, spaces in organizational settings. So we are not going to be able to have the conversations that we need for so many reasons, when we are all what I would call pathologically busy. And I really think we have reached that stage now where many of our organization settings are people really rushing around, focusing on short-term results, on back-to-back what I call domino Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. And if there simply aren't the spaces, both physical but in terms of time, where other sorts of conversations can happen, then we're really in trouble. And it's interesting that I, I've I've recently come up with the metaphor of a Jenga. You know, Jenga with all the wooden blocks that you oh, have to kind yeah. of balance in a big tower. Yeah. Well, spaces for dialogue in organizational settings. Once you start squeezing those spaces out, those more informal spaces, it's a bit like taking a Jenga block out from the bottom of the tower. So many other things rely on those, what I would call small conversations. And in our research, John and I say, the small conversations are the ones that make the big ones possible. So those, you know, and we discount them. We discount them so easily. We think to ourselves, okay, I'm really busy. So, okay, I've got a performance meeting. I've got half an hour. Better crack on, right? What's our agenda? Let's get into it. And we go through that meeting. Yeah. Or I hate small talk, which is what I hear all the time from people, right? Yeah. yeah. What a waste of time. I haven't got time for this. But the, the small talk, the small conversations develop the relationship. They develop the the human relating that develops trust. 
And so whilst we think we can get away with reducing it because we've got so much to do, there comes a point where you have squeezed out so much space that suddenly the Jenga tower starts to crumble and you aren't getting to hear what you need to get to hear. You're not getting the ideas and the creativity. You are getting people leaving because they've lost the relationship. But, you know, this is so hard for leaders to realize and to prioritize more kind of longer term intangible benefits of an activity that in the short term and tangibly doesn't seem to be very worthwhile. I think that's one of the biggest challenges I'm certainly very curious on at the moment. Yeah, indeed. And especially in the remote spaces so many of us are in often now, like how do we make that happen? It's it's just yeah. a, it's such a big question. You know, we haven't even said anything yet about the language to use and what to say. And one of the things I know that you invite leaders to think of is just to proactively invite challenge and debate when asking for feedback. What kinds of things do you hear from leaders that that are good things to say or ask that are helpful in being able to proactively make that invitation to folks? I think how leaders frame questions, as I mentioned before, particularly when they need to uncover blind spots and they need people to disagree with them, are utterly vital. And I still am amazed in organizational settings how bad we are at framing good questions, particularly around feedback. I All the time, I hear leaders at the end of a meeting kind of going, so has anyone got any feedback? Mm. <laughs> you, can just, you can just see the automatic no response coming from everybody's lips. So, you know, one of the story I told just before, which is how can you put people in different perspectives and ask them to challenge you from those perspectives. I spoke to a, a senior civil servant in the UK who writes policy documents. And she was saying that she used to send out the policy documents just with a little note to her team saying, could you give me some feedback on this? And she was really disappointed with what she was receiving. And then one day she just changed it ever so slightly to send out the email. She said, could you please come up with one or two ways I could improve this? Ah. Very slight way of changing the question, but she was, you know, she she had a noticeable difference in what came back. So framing the questions that, so that it makes the brain think, you know, okay, what are the number of ways I can improve it? And framing it in a way that you really have given people permission to disagree with you or challenge are, are really important. Megan Rates is the co-author of Speak Up, Say What Needs to Be Said and Hear What Needs to Be Heard. Megan, thank you so much for your time and your work. Thank you, Dave. There's so many variables at play in speaking truth to power, influence, of course, power within the organization, and organizational politics. Several related episodes that'll be useful to you if you'd like to dive in further. One of them is episode 454, How to Ask Better Questions. My guest on that episode was David Marquet. He's been on the show several times over the years, the best-selling author of Turn the Ship Around and also the most recent book, Leadership is Language. In that conversation, David and I talk about how to ask better questions and also the model of the coefficient of conversation. He talks about that in the book. It's essentially looking at 
How much time does the person in power spend talking in a conversation, and how much time do they spend listening? As you'd imagine, the less time the person in power spends talking, the more time they hear information that's valuable for them and the organization. More on that, plus a lot on how to ask better questions in episode 454. I'd also recommend episode 546, How to Speak Up. Constant Locke was my guest on that episode. We looked at her research. On the other side of this equation, if you're the person that tends to not speak up when you'd like to, you'd like to get better at speaking truth to power. Tons in Megan's book on that, but also Constant's book, a wonderful way to begin to take some practical steps to do that better for yourself. That's episode 546. And then finally, I'd recommend the research of Vanessa Bond. She was on episode 551, How to Use Power Responsibly. And we talked about the reality that Many of us, when we have power, don't realize that we have more influence than we think. That's the title of her book. Fascinating research, looking at power from a different perspective than we often think about in organizations. That's episode 551. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. When you do, it's going to give you access to a whole array of benefits inside the free membership. Two of those benefits are my own library. I database every single article, video, podcast I find that I pass along in the weekly leadership guides. You can search for those by topic. It's completely free. If you're looking for a credibility piece or an article or a resource on a specific topic that maybe you're working on with your team or a client right now, it's a wonderful starting point. Just click on Dave's library when you get inside the website. The other resource that's in there is all my interview notes. I'm including my notes from my conversation with Megan. Sometimes there's things in the notes there, in fact, many times that we don't get to in the interview itself, but I always post those for just about every conversation inside of the free membership. You can find that under interview and book notes when you get there. Many other resources are available to you inside the free membership. If you haven't set it up, go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership today, and you'll be off and running with us with a lot of resources and connection points along the way. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Oscar Trimboli back to the show. He is going to be helping us look at the assumptions that stop us from listening well. Join me for that conversation with Oscar, and I'll see you next Monday.